friends, it's good to be with you today on this super Sunday. Let me add my welcome to Pastor Sherry's. My name is Adam, and it's my honor to uh, be your senior pastor. It was November of 2020, and I want to get this right. Some wildlife officials in Utah were counting sheep via a helicopter, like you do, when they noticed something odd. A 10-foot-tall monolith standing mysteriously in the desert. Did you see the news stories about this? The internet was obsessed. People came up with all sorts of crazy theories. Oh, was it aliens? Is this a marketing ploy? Is, does it say Coke on the other side of that monolith, right? Where did this come from? That's what everyone wanted to, everyone wanted to know. How did this arrive here? As people, we love origin stories. Like when a hit show runs its course, what do we do? Run it back with the prequel, right? Big Bang Theory, one of the best hits CBS has ever had. Let's get some more mileage out of it, baby. Now you can watch Young Sheldon and find out the roots of uh, that classic character. Or, or you can relive your favorite characters from Breaking Bad on Better Call Saul. Uh, we love biopics about people's lives, especially how they got their start. Jamie Foxx won an Oscar. He won Best Actor for his portrayal of Ray Charles in Ray. And we also love a star from humble beginnings, like our man, Patrick Mahomes, who played high school football in White House, Texas. Now, interesting little anecdote, the city of White House was named that uh, because there was a White House by the railroad tracks. And as the conductors passed it on, 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 the, on the routes, routes, they would, they would say, oh, passing the White House. That's how the little town got its name. Uh, my buddy Trey is the pastor at White House Methodist Church. So I can tell you, we got a lot of Chiefs fans down there. We love origin stories because it points to one of the big questions of life. Where do we come from? And when I ask it in this way, I don't mean like where you were born, like I come from Memphis, Missouri. No, I'm talking about the human race. Now, amidst a pandemic, bills to pay, you've probably got some other things going on. You might not have had this question of origin at the top of your mind. Where did we come from? But how we answer this question has implications for how we live our lives. Is earth, is life, is existence the intentional process of a creator? Or is it the product of a random collision of atoms? Any answer to the question of origin requires faith. Either way you go. You either believe in a God who initiated and who guides creation, or you believe in a non-personal force we might call chance. Now the good news is that this isn't a new question. Where did we come from? The question of origin this is a question people have been asking for a long time. So in our sermon series, long story short, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And what I hope we'll discover together today is that God is great for two reasons. Nothing is too big for God and nothing is too small for God. So this is the first week in our new series, The Long, uh, long Story Short. And we're going to look at the major themes of the Bible, starting in Genesis today and going all the way to Revelation all the big points of the Bible from start to finish. Earlier I mentioned our love of origin stories from uh, Ray Charles to Darth Vader, right? So in this series, we're gonna be taking kind of a balcony view 
of, of the story of God is contained in the scripture. So Jeremy, hit me, with the, hit me with the stats. Here's the Bible by the numbers. The Bible's a collection of 66 books written over three continents by over 40 different authors over the course of centuries. It was written by fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, kings, doctors, political prisoners, and political advisors, farmers, and poets. Uh, it's not organized in chronological order, but by genres of writing. The Bible contains law, history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. And over multiple genres, multiple authors, thousands of years apart, it makes up the unified story of God. Each week we'll be exploring a major theme of the Bible, and then we're going to invite you to dig deeper into groups beyond worship. Pastor Sherry's going to tell you a little bit about that later on. So we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 today. So if you're new to reading the Bible, this is your day, man. You can just open that up. It's right there. Very first page. We're going to start from the top. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are some of the most famous words ever captured by people in human history. Genesis is also some of the most dissected and debated literature ever. One of the questions that's important to ask ourselves when we study the Bible is what kind of literature are we working with here? And I believe when you look at the first part of Genesis 1, even the way it's structured, it's prose. It's a poem. This can be a very contentious text, right? Because people get into arguments of, you know, it's science versus faith and it's, it's evolution versus creation. And, 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 and we argue about how old the earth is or whether it was made in seven 24-hour days. I believe the point of Genesis 1 and 2 is about the authorship of creation, not the method. I'm just going to sidestep all that. Because that's not, that's, 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 that's not, to me, pertinent to our discussion today. Because if you keep reading, there's a second creation account in Genesis. Oh, yeah. Just turn the page. In chapter 2, there's another creation account. So we need to be careful about bringing our modern sensibilities and assumptions and knowledge. We need to be careful about bringing all our modernity to an ancient text. The Hebrew word for day used in Genesis 1.1 is yom, meaning the time after sunrise and before sunset while it is light outside. Now, there are other Hebrew words that could have been used for day that indicate a longer period of time. But how do we calculate the length of a day when three verses later in verse four, we understand that the sun and moon weren't created until the fourth day? You tell me. So we, we get into parsing this out in ways that I don't think we, we bring try and draw answers out of the text that I'm not sure it was destined or designed to answer. To me, what is important is that God is the author of creation, not arguing over the sequence and method of creation. So let me say this very plainly. I believe that your salvation does not depend on how old you think the earth is. We put our faith in the creator, not in data, your salvation does not hinge on how old the earth is. Let's keep going. Verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the ancient Jewish worldview, 
deep waters, darkness, they were synonymous with, with chaos, uncertainty, and even threat. And so God is not only the author of creation, but God also has the authority to bring order and goodness to the chaos. And this is what we read in verses three through five. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We mark the passage of time with light and darkness. We associate light with goodness and darkness with evil. God has brought it all into being and is sovereign over all. God speaks it into existence. In chapter one, over and over, God is speaking and and things are being created. The Hebrew word there for speak is mer, which means command. God commanded creation into being. Again, this points to God as the author of creation is our main theme here. So when it comes to the question of origin, I believe it's more of a who answer than a how. The how in many ways remains an eternal mystery and and some people are more or less comfortable with that concept. Because there's much of God that's beyond our ability to perceive. And I prefer it that way, right? Would it be very impressive if we kind of had God pinned down as if we kind of had everything figured out? Part of God's greatness is that God is bigger than big. Have you ever had moments where you felt small in the midst of God's creation? One of the most amazing places I've ever visited is the Garden of the Gods in Colorado Springs. Now, I typically use God in singular form, not plural. I didn't name the park, right? This this, This rock formation in Colorado Springs. And you stand in front of it and you just feel small and that's a good feeling. Or do you remember taking in the solar eclipse of 2017 when in Missouri we had a front row seat? That was nuts. I remember we, we went out on the rooftop of Good Shepherd United Methodist Church on North Oak and 152. And it was just wild to see. Everything went dark. And the streetlights came on, which is our, our deal as, as people. We invented like light-sensitive streetlights. But then the crickets started chirping. Do you remember that? And I was, I, in that moment, I was just like, oh, man. There's a lot more going on here than I perceive or am in control of. I felt very small, and I think that's a good thing. God is bigger than big. In the book of Job, God challenges Job when he says this, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? I'm trying to use my, my big, scary God voice. We'll see how it goes. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. little sarcasm there in Job. This is, this is a rough read. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Part of why God is so great is that God is bigger than big. But God is also great because nothing is too small. Two of my absolute favorite days of my life were when we went in for the ultrasounds for my kids. Now, I want to be very sensitive because I know that there are folks who will hear this message that would love nothing more than to have the experience I'm about to describe. I want to be sensitive to that. But there in the office, as we looked at little Aaron on the screen, we could see little tiny hands, see little tiny arms, 
and hear a little whirling heartbeat. It was incredible. Uh, when we went in for Betsy's ultrasound and uh, found out she was going to be a girl, I actually played Butterfly Kisses on Spotify on my phone right there in the office. Butterfly Kisses. That kind of freaked the tech out a little bit. I think that was a first for her. I must have done something right to deserve. Great song. In this moment, I suddenly had a great appreciation for a very famous psalm, 139, starting with verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The same author of majestic rock formations and solar eclipses has created each of us. Nothing is too small for God. God has numbered the stars, and this God is not too big to know about you. Jesus says this in Matthew, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. As a hairy person, this is kind of a life verse for me. Am I kidding? I don't know. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Part of the reason God is so great is that nothing is too small for God. Every detail of your life, God is aware of. G.K. Chesterton was a, was a British philosopher and theologian and author. And he has this amazing thought about God delighting in God's own creation. Like if I came up with this, I would just, I would just retire. That would be it for me. I was, this just blew my mind. I don't want to hype it up too much, but here we go. This is what G.K. Chesterton said. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, to have the strength to do the same thing over and over. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. Here we go. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. Woo! It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Scripture testifies over and over as to God as the author of creation. This is one of the ways that God has been revealed. We read this in Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Where do we come from? This is one of the most important questions in our existence. I believe the answer to that question is more of a who and less of a how. Answering the question of origin helps us put our faith in the creator. What if just like the daisies, God might not be done creating you? When we place our faith in God, we affirm our sacred worth as God's creation, having been fearfully and wonderfully made and as we recognize this, we can begin to take our part in God's story. And that's a story that began with creation. 
with God as the author, speaking all that we can know and all that we can perceive into existence. From there, the Bible is the story of God's pursuit of people to be in right relationship with him. To be in right relationship with their creator. So next week, we're gonna look at some of the promises that God made to the people that God lovingly created. We're putting all the pieces together from Genesis to Revelation throughout this series, long story short. One of the things God did with creation is to give us as creatures the ability to create. And I'm talking about more than just kids. To create societies, to create art, to create Andy Reid's offense, (laughs) to partner with God to care for God's creation. So if we have enough faith to believe in a God who is bigger than big, how can we trust God with even the small details of our lives this week? Friends, go with the good news that the creator of the universe has created you and called you good. Remember, nothing is too big for God and nothing is too small. I hope you'll continue the conversation this week. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from your word, to read this ancient text, which still calls out to us millenniums, millennia, after you spoke through the authors of your word. God, help us to be mindful of our place in your story. Help us take comfort in the fact that the world doesn't revolve around us or or reside on our shoulders, but that the world is in your hands. Your creation is under your care. And at the same time, help us find ourselves within your story. Help us to think that no detail is too small for you, that we're not gonna bug you when we come to you for comfort or guidance. God, as your created beings, help us to live in ways that reflect our love for our creator. Amen.